Welcome to the Mindset Medicine Podcast, where we discuss mindset, momentum, growth strategies, and basically just taking topics and giving them a fresh perspective. Hi, everyone. I'm Catherine Lucadu, and thank you for joining me again today. I think you're going to find this topic as interesting and fascinating as I do. We're going to be talking about the mind and its power and its power to heal, its power to change beliefs that we have carried along with us and mortality. So let's dive right in. Now, where did this topic come from today? Well, I was at a meeting this week with an older gentleman and that sparked a lot of old issues that I can remember from many years ago when I was sick. And I am going to get into some of those stories later on. But first, let's look at the mind. And I'm sure you know that your mind is powerful. But do you know just how powerful it is? Your mind is a very powerful tool when it comes to healing yourself as every thought that you think translates into a chemical reaction, which then turns into an emotion and causes a physiological response in your body. Now, that sounds a bit like a very dictionary, scientific approach to this, but really, depending on the quality of your thoughts, if they are positive and uplifting or negative and depressing, your body will react with either improved health or declining health. Now, you may not have really taken time to think about this, but you'll find that when, you know, especially in summer, you know, the sun is shining and there are activities to do and under normal circumstances, you're meeting with more people you've got a really great mindset going on. You know, you're positive. Think about when you're going on holidays. You know, you're happy, you're energetic. But what happens when you come back from holidays? That plane ride home and you're thinking, oh, it's all over. Now I've got to go back to work, to the grind. So now that mindset starts to go toward the negative. So here's what's interesting. On average, we think about 50,000 thoughts per day, but unfortunately, most of these thoughts are unconscious and negative. Such thoughts are filled with worry, anxiety, upset. We distress about things that haven't even happened. The majority of the time, our negative thoughts are coming from the unknown that is ahead of us and actually don't have a lot to do with what we're going through at the moment. Or we're concentrating on what's happened in the past and again, we're not focusing on the present. As you can imagine, these negative thoughts are not conductive for healing yourself. Thoughts that can help you tremendously when you learn to change them into positive and life-affirming ones are, you know, giving yourself grace, allowing yourself to make mistakes. It's okay. 
you know, we often make a mistake and we'll think to ourselves, oh, I was so stupid. The second you use that word I, you have now internalized the mistake that you made and basing it on you and who you are. And the two are completely different. The mistake that you made is a behavior or an action, but it is not who you are. So these are things to keep in mind. One special kind of thought, which has a huge impact on us is belief. And a belief is nothing other than a thought with a corresponding strong feeling of conviction in your body. So when you strongly believe in something, then you create, usually more unconscious than anything, a law for yourself. And then suddenly you experience yourself, your friends, or your life circumstances in a certain way according to that belief. So when it comes to healing, you know, whether you're healing yourself from an emotional situation, um, spiritually, whether you're trying to heal yourself physically from actually something that has happened to you, or simply from pain of something that you've gone through. The beliefs about being able to heal yourself are most important. When you believe you can heal, then the chances are high that you actually will. And I'm going to give you a couple of stories because I know that there are some skeptics out there and you're thinking, oh, come on, you know, a lot of this is, um, you know, hocus pocus. I know that my father would definitely not believe any of these kinds of things. However, he knows my story. And he has no response when I retell him my story, which I will get to in a little bit. So the reason why the chances are so high that we can actually heal ourselves. And now I'm not talking about um, serious, very serious illnesses like cancer or once a disease has actually started its progression. However, can it be slowed down? Yes. Do we still take the necessary medication? Of course. However, the healing process can be speed, can be sped up. So the reason for this is because strong and positive healing beliefs trigger chemical reactions in your body that will affect your immune system in a positive way, making it possible for your body to, to move towards its desired outcome, which is obviously a healthy body. So what about negative beliefs? What happens if you get sick and then all of a sudden you are overcome with negative thoughts and depression? They too will have an impact on your body. You know, some common negative healing beliefs are, I can't possibly heal myself. This is never going to work. Um, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, all of these things where if we could reverse that and actually close our eyes and say, I can feel myself healing. I can feel. And then whatever it is, is the situation 
you start telling yourself that you are healing. So let me go back to where this all came about this week. I was called to go on a listing appointment with an older gentleman and he, he, he's such a character. He is Belgian and he has very dry sense of humor. So he was walking me around his house while he was shuffling. I was walking and every room we went into, he stopped and he really took me down memory lane. We got to his bedroom and he had a picture of his mother behind his bed. It had been hand painted and he stopped and he said to me, he said, what do you notice about that picture? I said, well, first of all, your mother was very beautiful. And I said, but you know, the artist really captured the emotion in her face and in her eyes. And he looked at me, he said, exactly. He said, I feel like I'm looking into my mother's eyes when I look at that photo. Now, this man was probably, I would say in his early eighties. So he took me around the room and he showed me pictures of race cars. He told me he used to race cars. And then he showed me that his son is now racing cars. There were pictures of horses, which he had owned. Um, he told me about his daughter and she's a horse trainer. And he took me through everything from when he was a child. And, and, and this is as we walked around the home. So we get to the kitchen and I said, um, you know, where are you thinking of moving from here? And his response totally took me off guard. He said, well, from here, I'm likely going to a grave. And I paused and I didn't say anything. I was trying to figure out, was he joking? Was he serious? And then he continued. He said, I have cancer. He said, I'm in the last stages. He looked very well, but he did, you know, we, we stopped there. He didn't continue. So he kept showing me around the home. We got back to the living room and we sat down. Of course, we were very distant and I had my mask on the whole time. Thank goodness, because he hadn't told me he had cancer right from the beginning, which is very understandable. But, you know, he sat at the very far end of the room. So maybe we were about 10 feet apart and, um, I removed my mask for a few minutes and we continued talking and I realized that he just wanted to talk to me that day. His wife wasn't there. So, you know, when we talk about real estate and doing listing presentations, you know, usually it is this presentation of what we can offer someone. But I realized very quickly that day that this was just more of, I'm just going to sit and listen to what he has to say. So, he started talking about his cancer diagnosis again. And, um, he, he looked at me and he said, I know this is my fault. And I said, well, why, why would you say that? And he said, because I left it too long. And I understand that. And he said, it's taken me a few months, but I have now come to accept that maybe within 60 days, I will not be here. So, I paused and I listened and I said to him, you're much braver than I was. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, 13 years ago, I had, um, I had a massive heart attack. I then went into the hospital 
and um, the heart attacks continued. They couldn't stabilize me. So for five days, I had a heart attack every single day and I could feel them coming on. The doctors didn't know what to do. I was 33 years old and there I was, couldn't control any of it. Um, my mind was, you know, although they had given me a lot of drugs and a lot of medicine to keep all of this under control, you still have your thoughts going on inside. Now, the surgeon came to me on a Friday evening and it was just the two of us in my room. I didn't have any other visitors that night. And it was probably maybe about 7 p.m. So it was still very bright on the Mediterranean island I was living on. So there was still light outside. And he looked at me, his eyes were watery. And he said, Catherine, if these heart attacks don't stop, you're not going to make it till Sunday. And he just shook his head and he said, I don't know what else to do. Uh, we can't do an angiogram on you, so I can't see what's wrong. Um, we can't stabilize you, so I can't even put you into surgery, even if I wanted to. He said, we have to get these under control and we're using whatever we have on hand right now. So the rest is up to you. So he walked out of the room and I remember looking out of the hospital window and I was on a higher floor and I could see above all the buildings, but I could see into the distant, you know, into the horizon. And I kept thinking to myself, I am 33 years old. I haven't done anything yet. Not to mention, I am not ready to leave my two-year-old and my seven-year-old. It's not time. So this is where I think mortality comes into play because I had never in my life thought about mortality more than at that point. And I remember thinking that whole night, I am not leaving this world. I am not ready to go. This is not happening. And I just kept saying that to myself all night. There's go there's, there's gotta be a way because I am not leaving. The next morning, there was no heart attack. The next afternoon, there was no heart attack. Saturday night, the surgeon came back in the room and he said, okay, we're good to go. We're going to go and do an angiogram and we're going to see what's going on. So long story short, I had four arteries that were blocked. They had to put me in for triple bypass on Monday morning. And that was the beginning of a whole new chapter in my life, the day that I went into that surgery. So I'm going to stop this story there. And I'm going to go back to the topic of the mind and mortality. When you recognize your mortality, it can help you take stock of your life. And it can open your eyes to the opportunities in front of you. Sensing your mortality can be a catalyst to create something that will outlast you, that will touch lives, that will outlive you, and you will experience places and things that you've always filed away in your mind's someday drawer. Because you begin to realize that now is the only time that there is. 
And when people finally realize that life is finite and that there is an end and you, it's not always at the end of your lifespan, which could be 90, 95 or a hundred. It could actually be tomorrow in a week. We don't know. When you finally recognize that life is finite, you can finally get life right and you live it the way it was meant to be lived. So I'm going to go back to the conversation with the older man because I looked at him after I told him my story and I said to him, I know that I am many years younger than you, but I have learned a very, very important lesson this far in my life. And what that is, is the mind is very powerful. And if you can tell yourself every single day that you're not ready yet and that there is still energy because he was still going twice a day for walks with his dog, he still had so much spunk in him. I wanted to be at least um, a sound of hope in his ear just to plant a seed that said, don't ever give up until the very last drop that's in you. So I'd love to give you a little case study here. And it's about mind, the power of the mind. And it's a case study from 1979, but I'll have to tell you, I found it fascinating. So it's about reversing the aging process. Now we know a lot of people try and reverse the aging process with Botox and creams and pills and exercise and all kinds of things. But let me give you this story. So if you've ever had any doubts about the power of the mind, then let's read what happened in 1979. In the experiment, designed to test the power of perception, a group of 75-year-old men spent a week in a setting where everything, pictures, newspapers, books, photos, magazines, etc., were all from the 1950s. The researcher explained that the men they were that uh, to the men that they were to act, talk, and behave as if they were actually living in 1959 a time when they were in their mid-50s. In short, everything was arranged to make them seem as if they were actually living like they were 55. They were even given ID badges with old pictures of themselves and told to have conversations about things that happened all the time, their old jobs, you know, their family, what was going on, what they were doing at the weekend. The point of the experiment was to show that our mental construction and the way that we perceive ourselves has a direct impact on our physical body. Of course, the conscious minds of the men were fully aware that it was 1979 and that there was no time traveling happening or there was nothing supernatural happening at play. But what did the experiment show? Before the experiment, the men were tested on characteristics that normally go downhill as people get older, such as physical strength, eyesight, 
and short-term memory. When the men were tested after the experiment, most of them had improved in every single category. For example, they were stronger, they were more flexible, and their eyesight and short-term memory had improved. So what is the significance of this finding? Just think of the possibilities this offers you. If you can reverse the aging process just through your mind power, imagine what other personal characteristics that you could change by changing your perception of yourself. So imagine changing your personal traits such as your confidence, appearance. These are things that you can absolutely influence through your mental construction. We know that uh, mental diseases like anorexia and uh, bulimia, we know that these are in the mind and in in our perception of ourselves. So if you could just change that perception that when you look in the mirror, you see someone who is beautiful, handsome, strong, powerful, confident. Imagine the way that you would see the world when you walk out of your house. Imagine how the world would see you when you walk out of your house. You can also use your perception to become happier and to have a better and more fulfilling life. So now let me give you another part of my story. So once I went through my triple bypass open heart surgery and I went home, I then had a stroke. I went back to the hospital, they gave me more medication and then they sent me home. Well, was I scared? Was I living in fear, which then led to depression, which then led to anxiety attacks? You name it, I had it because I didn't know why this had happened. And I got into a funk of I needed to know. So I learned everything there was to learn about cardiology. I mean, I'm probably next in line to a doctor of cardiology with the amount of information that I know. Because no one could give me an answer, so I tried to find them myself, but I drove myself crazy. I also drove myself to the anxiety attacks because I kept imagining what if I have another heart attack while the kids are with me? What if I'm driving along a road and all of a sudden something happens? I lived in the what ifs rather than you're fine now, you've been fixed. So we ended up leaving um, Cyprus, the Mediterranean island where I was living. We decided that we were going to start a new chapter in our lives. Yes, we were going to have to start over right from scratch with barely any money, but that's what we decided to do. So we moved back. I moved back to Canada and my husband was coming here and my kids were coming here for the first time. So let me speed up the story. I had been back in Canada And I was still visiting cardiologists because I refused to be taking the amount of medicine that they were giving me. I firmly believed that it was making me sick. I did not feel sick. 
I know I had open heart surgery. I know I had all these things happen, but I didn't feel sick. And I kept telling the doctors, I don't need to be taking all this medication. It is making me more sick than I am. Finally, one doctor listened to me after visiting about four different specialists here in Toronto. The fifth one finally said, you know what? I'm going to do an angiogram at year five after your surgery. And depending on what it shows, I will then promise to reduce your medication. Okay. I had one year to wait for that. I went to that fifth year of the angiogram. Guess what happened? We are all there in the room. He had the TV above me because you can see the little camera going through your artery. It's the most amazing thing to watch. And as he's looking around, I see a look of shock on his face. He looked at me and he said, Catherine, there are no more blockages. He said, I don't understand what's happened, but you have no more blockages even in the bypassed arteries that we've done. He said, all the arteries are open now. He said, I don't understand what's happened. I haven't seen this before, but there's actually nothing going on. He said, now we need to do an ultrasound of your heart because I need to see what damage the heart attack made on your heart. So we went into that room. He started doing the ultrasound over the heart area. And he looked at me and he said, there is no sign that you have ever had a heart attack. He said, I don't understand what's happened, but there are no signs that you've ever had any of these apart from the fact that I've got scars down my chest and my leg. What he didn't know was that for the five years when I moved back here, I decided in my mind that I was not going to play in to the sick card anymore. Although the medication was making me feel terrible, I refused to play into it. I decided to change how I ate. I decided to change what I drank, what I put in my mouth. I began to walk every day. I read books on positivity. I changed careers and I got into real estate and that gave me a new focus. But what I wasn't going to do was go backwards into the way that I had been. So here's what I've learned about stress, distress, anxiety. Researchers have found that it's not necessarily the stresses of life that lead to disease, but rather how we adapt and react to these stressors. I'm going to stop here because if you remember nothing else from this podcast, I want you to remember that sentence. It is not the stresses and distress and anxiety in your life that is causing the diseases. It is your reaction to these stressors in your life. And if we can learn to change and alter our reactions That is how we will remain healthier. The ways in which we adapt are often based on our perspectives of ourselves and on life. And many of these are learned from childhood. When a stressful incident occurs, whether it's losing someone, whether it's a trauma that's happened to us, whether it's a task or a challenge that we're facing, 
whether it's uh, economical, financial, like, you know, we've been in a pandemic for four months, whatever that may be, we tend to look at these problems through old perspectives. And if we're stuck in rigid, fixed perspectives about ourselves and the way that life should be, or the way that we had imagined our life should be, we often find it more difficult to deal with life's changing events. Instead of adapting to the situation and seeking practical solutions that we may f- that will help us feel more hopeful, we are looking to overcome challenges and not be buried by them. But learning how to react to the stressors in our lives is what will make you healthier and more positive. So how do we do that? It's actually through self-awareness and your mind. So I mentioned self-awareness in last week's podcast, which is understanding where your emotions are manifesting from and what is causing them and what is triggering them. If you can figure that out and then you can learn to self-manage these emotions, know when you don't actually need to react. Know when you don't really need to respond to someone's, someone else's behavior or overreaction. Really shifting your mindset in any area is what is going to get you on the road to a whole new chapter in your life because what you give your attention to is what you will experience you can create a life that you want to be living by shifting your mindset or you can spend the rest of your time that you are alive in your body being miserable and dying a thousand deaths over and over because you are so miserable personally i would never choose that way ever again. Many people have said that, you know, I am positive and I am inspiring to them. But what they don't realize is I am that way because I have learned that that is what keeps us alive. That is what keeps us looking for the opportunities to really embrace This one life we have. Now, I've been lucky because I'm on life number two, but we're not all that lucky. So embrace what you have in front of you. And remember, your mind will always believe everything you tell it. Feed it with faith, feed it with truth, and feed it with love. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Bye for now.